Welcome to the Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode number 103, Chat with Raymond Mulholland, Part 2. You were talking about how you try to make this information more accessible to the common person. And I responded back about how this really is difficult stuff to understand. And uh, it's just hard for some people to grasp unless they want to. Uh, yeah, But I do that. believe that ultimately, if you want to talk about big boy subjects, you need to use big boy words. Yeah. And that's, you know, Lewis said in Mere Christianity that Christianity itself, once you become a Christian, necessarily requires you to educate yourself. The Judeo-Christian faith requires us to be people of the word. And therefore, it is necessarily an educational journey. And of course, you know, more right. broadly speaking, metaphysically speaking, that is what the joy of it is. And, you know, for you and I, especially, I think this comes easily. I think for some others, maybe it might be a bit of a shock. But it seems to me that all of eternity has to consist of this constant journey to understand, know, love, appreciate the divine. I, I don't see any other way of, of, you know, it's the farther up and farther in of the last battle. So, um, yeah, it, and you, you talk about truth and, and, you know, those of us, those who have followed us from the beginning of the Christian atheist know that that was a central notion for mm-hmm. me too. It's like that I walked away from my faith in Christ because I was searching for truth, but because I was serious about it, it led me right back. And, yes. and God is truth. So, yeah. Believe it or not, I think atheism is actually uh, one of the supports I have for my faith. Mm-hmm. Because atheists, at least the ones that are serious about understanding what truth is, they invariably come to a point where they have to admit they either have to stop their line of thought or they have to admit that it makes sense for there to be an infinite being of perfect knowledge. I see that all the time. One of my favorite examples is I was when I was in college, I was taking astronomy and the professor loved to show one of Carl Sagan's works for for the class. That mm-hmm. would be our le- lesson for the day. He'd show this video from Carl Sagan. And it was an awesome series until we got to literally the very last video where Sagan started questioning the need for God, saying, well, man can do all this stuff. We don't need God anymore. I look back on that day and it's like he could have only said this at the end of the series. If he had said that at the beginning of the series, then the series would have meant nothing mm-hmm. because all the wonder that he was trying to talk about, all the beauty, all the myst- mystery of space means nothing because now space astronomy is nothing but a bunch of numbers. <laughs> and he, you know, he said it at the and end not even- he had to. And not even numbers, because numbers reflect the divine rational order through which everything comes to being. It's like everything that they want to hold on to, ultimately, is only grounded in God. And once you lose that, you've you've abandoned science. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it can't exist without that. Now, you know... I guess it's possible. It's one of those things. It's like perhaps this strange thing that we live in called the universe 
has this sort of rational structure and order, and there's no divine being behind that. But I don't see how that's rational. It's like rationality itself collapses at that point. And so, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, the big word I use is cognitive dissonance. Yeah. You know, Pinkerton, in Pinkerton's book, he talks about enlightenment now. He talks about how information is one of the fundamental building blocks of matter, but information suggests intelligent design. You can't have information by random. That's not information. That's random noise. Yeah. And information is always information for a subject. It's information for whom? Yeah. That was one of the points I made in my discussion with uh, the YouTube atheist, Tom Jump. Boy, that was quite an experience. Uh, He's a bright guy, without a doubt. Uh, And yet, uh, he was, I, I think he was expecting to do to me what he did to everybody else. And, and it didn't quite happen, I don't think. So I, mm. I'm, I think that one came off well, but I don't think many people understood it. <laughs> but it was fun. All you can do is just sow seeds. Yeah, that's, that's, boy, Jenny keeps telling me that one. And she's right. I'm getting better at that. Because it used to feel like, you know, I've got I've to gotta win this. And there's no winning because the only way you win is if they win. That is if they see something true and start to follow it. And I mean, when we were talking about coming together today, you said that too, something that I really appreciated. You said, uh, um, I don't really care what you ask because if I look like a fool and God is glorified, then let me look like a fool. You know, that's and I, that's where I'm kind of at, too. Now, it's like, who cares? As long as the truth comes out, if I was wrong, OK, that's good. People have a hard time giving up, giving up that, though. And I admit it's hard. Sometimes I'm faced with the truth. I get upset at first, but, you know, may take a night or two. But eventually, you know, I'll still be playing in my mind. And if it's really true, eventually it's going to win out. Yeah. I'm not proud that I sometimes get upset, but I am human. (laughs) Exactly. I I do search for the truth and I've learned a lot of things. A lot of things I thought I believed, I no longer believe. One thing I do find frustrating though, when I do debate with some people, they say, why are you, you know, some of my friends will say, why are you talking to them? You're never going to win them over. And I'm like, I don't care about winning them over. I just, want who's ever listening to understand what's going on i mean if i can win them over that's great but all too often my goal is not to win this person over it's just i'm more worried about who might be listening as opposed to what this person actually thinks yep that's another point that jenny tells me all the time you're not talking to the person you're nominally talking to you're talking to everyone else that's listening yep and sowing seeds like you said yeah and uh of course, then I read about Kimberly Crenshaw and how she wants to spread socialism as a virus. And it's like, yep. yeah. I'm, Did she say that the, specifically? I believe she's the one who came up with the viral analogy. Okay. Yeah, that's certainly although, what it is. <laughs> although if you look at the whole history of socialism, you can see it pretty much from the beginning that that's what it's like. Yep. Just like sin. I mean, having just completed... Paradise Lost. That was like one of the central metaphors running through the whole thing, that evil is this parasitical virus that 
can only live by feeding off of the good and destroying it. And mm-hmm. ultimately, if it wins, it just destroys everything. So, I mean, not that that's possible. God's goodness, reality does does win out, has to win out in the end. But the parasitic nature of evil has really, I think, more in our age than any other time in history. You know, what do I know? I've not lived through any other age. But it seems to me as though we are playing with things that are so crazy that almost any other human beings brought to live in our society would look around and say, what in the world are you doing? Gramsci's and Arcusa's dreams have come yeah. true. It's become institutionalized. Yeah. And we've gone off the cliff with it in the last 10, 10 or so years, 10, 15 years. Phew. Last four years have been extremely, it's been extremely obvious these last four years. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to turn around or if, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, when I was a young Christian, I got really excited about like end times, studying end times stuff. Now it's like, eh, I don't really care about that. I don't think any of us understand it properly anyway. It's one of the most difficult portions of scripture to truly comprehend. And therefore, when the time is necessary for us to comprehend it, it'll work. But right now, I think it's so speculative, it's probably not worth talking too much about and certainly not getting too wrapped up in. But at the same time, I'm thinking, wow, I mean, how do we keep the cycle has gone so far? I don't know how we turn back from this, but maybe we do. I don't know. Hard to say. At the very least, I think there's a massive separation of wheat and chaff going on right now. I think (laughs) that's probably the most optimistic way to put things. I do have to admit that uh the whole idea of the apocalypse the final battle the united states is the last great christian country so that's certainly not proof that the apocalypse is upon us but it's i'll be honest i never thought much too much about the apocalypse until about three three or four years ago yeah 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 i don't see us i just don't it seems as though we turned a corner that's almost unturnable and we took the world along with us and I just don't see how it turns around unless God has another revival in mind. I mean, I don't know. We'll see, I guess. But in another the meantime, happened. all we can do is raise our voices and try to uh, to do what we're called to do, I guess. Well, society has collapsed before. Yep. We have uh, the collapse of the Roman Empire probably being the most obvious example, but it took almost a, almost a millennia before things got back to where life was worth living for the average person yeah but they didn't have i mean the structures of rationality i don't think collapsed along with the roman empire but i think we're in the process of collapsing reason and you know as much as science is a fairly new thing we're destroying science along with it of course science can't survive without reason and i would probably make the argument and and i just (laughs) just today i was reading in chesterton's everlasting man about the nature of reason being sustained, not just reason, but sanity being sustained by Christianity and falling completely apart when it's absent. And we've dismantled Christianity, I think, even in the churches, largely, in our culture today. We've become so secular in our thinking. And that's why I say, I just don't know, I don't know if it's going to turn around, from where is it going to turn around? 
I'm, I'm not sure. I've always had a love for history. I just, I think it's possible that society as we know it will collapse and, and given certain number of generations, it'll start slowly start to rebuild. Yeah. And I hate being a fatalist. I mean, I'm doing what I can to educate people to hopefully turn things around. Whether it works or not, I don't know, but I know I got to try. Yeah. Yeah. People don't seem interested. Hear that or they just take a fatalistic attitude. You know, they want to complain about it, but they're not serious about doing anything about it. Or bread and circuses. It seems like everybody's interested in these these very shallow things and they have no patience for anything that takes real thought. I don't know. They destroyed our attention span. Yeah. Our attention span's been destroyed. So if you can't say something in five seconds. Yeah, and and I'm not good at saying anything in five seconds. <laughs> so, Ray, do you have anything you would like to tell me that I'm screwing up, that I should do better, right? You've probably been on this journey with us longer than any other listener. And I appreciate all the things you've done. Different times you've had things to say to me that I think were right on. Sometimes I disagreed, and that's okay, too. But I love to get your perspective on things. And anything you want to talk about, you know, I, I don't know, just open the floor to you. So go for it. Well, again, we could go back to talking at high levels. I think no compromise where you brought uh, your wife, Jenny, along. I think that I think that's been wonderful. It's it seems like you two have found that rhythm you need to have. Uh, you can talk about these higher ideas and she can keep you grounded. She can ask those questions that a common person may have that you and I may not think about. I think, um, mm-hmm. I think that was a wonderful thing that you two did. I'm glad that she's there supporting you and all this. You, you and me both. I, I mean, I love doing the Christian atheist, but it, it's sort of a solo enterprise. She works with me through it. I read it to her and all that, but the no compromise thing has been like my pride and joy. I mean, I just, I love it so much. Every week I look forward to doing it with her, even though at one level it terrifies me too, which, because it's kind of less scripted than the Christian atheist. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm more on the spot and that always worries me. But yeah, it, it has been a true joy to work with her. So I appreciate that. Yeah. I've been a little behind. I'm trying to catch up on your videos now. I did read the third book, or I saw the third book of Paradise Lost on the no compromise and uh i left some notes there yeah i'm going to try and catch back up but now i'm drawing a blank on what it was i said back then okay (laughs) Uh, right now i don't know about i'm fortunate i do have a variety of people i can talk to and bounce ideas off co-workers this new christian men's group i'm with and they're very big on raising social issues Uh, i got introduced for the first time yesterday to uh, Matt Walsh of what is a woman fame. Okay. And, yes. Uh, I remember that. Yeah. He sounds like a very good person to listen to. He seems very grounded. You know, again, he's doing a great job identifying a problem, doing a great job, getting people to ask questions, getting them to think about why is this such a good idea? I saw him also on an interview with a friend of his on Fox in you know, when it started coming down to questions like, where is this coming from? You know, I, I just don't think people know, even people are doing a great job dealing with 
you know, with with uh, the daily insanity that pops up, I don't think they really understand. Uh, according to Matt Walsh, she thinks that this is a top down driven. This whole wokeism is top down driven, and it's. I think it's easy to see that because it's being done through legislation. They're passing all these laws, and yep. people go. Uh, these people are going to corporate work for the human resources office, and they're coming yep. up, coming up with policies that the CEO signs off on, but probably doesn't understand. Yep. But Absolutely. in my opinion, it's not a top down or a bottom up. It's a virus. It's just striking everywhere. Yeah, you got these people making insane things at high levels, but you also got these people at low levels that are pre-programmed to accept this yep. without question. Yep, because it has become systemic. I mean, the classes that I'm teaching, right now I'm teaching a course on ethics. I'll have students come in and several of them will say something like, I'm a Christian. And then throughout the course, they take these positions that are clearly woke positions and they don't ever see the conflict. It's like, and I know at one level they understand it, but at another level, they're so overwhelmed by the structure of the systematic cultural weight that they, they're not able to really rise above it, see it for what it is. I do my best to try as a teacher to at least allow other perspectives to come in and to to the extent that I can without being overbearing to present our side, but it is frustrating. Oh my goodness. My theory on that comes from the seven, seven virtues, the cardinal virtues of prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude, and then the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Socialist humanism, from what I see, primarily corrupts the Christian idea of justice, and it replaces what St. Paul taught about being equal through our differences. You know, the mm -hmm. whole thing about, you know, the hands, not the foot, the eyes, not the ear, but the body needs them. You know, we're equal, but we're different. That's part of Christian justice. But humanism says, no, we're all the same. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not uh, equality at all. No, it, but that's what they're teaching. But it's, but it's so similar, at least the way they advertise it. It's so similar to the Christian idea of justice, you know, that's the hook that gets caught in their mouths and pulls them out of the water. Yep. And once they got them hooked, then they pervert charity into guilt. It's like yep. someone's starving to death. How, you know, how dare you go out to eat tonight? Yep. You know, and you pervert is exactly the right word because you know, it takes a good thing ramen. And, it, and it inverts it. Yep. Yeah, you should be eating ramen and be grateful for even that because there's people that don't have it. You know, that's not what Christianity teaches. Christianity, you know, if you read in the book of Proverbs and, you know, Catholics have the book of Sirach, it's not being wealthy that's sinful. It's what you do with the wealth that's sinful. It's how you got the wealth and it's what you do with it once you have it. But socialist humanism, that's my theory. Socialist humanism is disregarding five of the virtues and then they're corrupting justice and charity. And that is what I think is drawing so many people out of the Christian spirit because they think they're still Christians and they're, well, they believe they're Christians, but they, without knowing it, they're not, they're following socialist ideas, not Christian ideas. Yeah. Yeah. They're refusing to balance the virtues and the virtues, the virtues as Aristotle makes the case, the virtues by themselves can be pushed to an extreme in either side and the extreme damages the center. And the center is where the virtue is found. 
And so you can be you can be too nice. Being too nice, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, which is what we hear running through the evangelical churches all around us, this idea that Jesus was just nice and everything is about being nice. And if you're nice, then then you're a Christian. No, that's not the way it works. God is not just nice. He doesn't overlook things. He's truth. He's justice. He's, you know, he's goodness. And when we violate those things, God provides the balance. And we've got to balance all the virtues. We can't choose one and raise it to the level of of the single only virtue. So I think your account is, is really good. Yep. I mean, Lewis talks about that too, the balance of them. I just read a book, and if I remember right, I think there's two, maybe three times that Jesus actually spoke nicely. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't necessarily speak harshly, but... Right. At, he speaks truthfully, yes. He speaks matter-of-factly. You know, as far as actually showing compassion for someone, I think you're only looking at two, maybe three times between all four Gospels that you're going to find an example of that. I mean, That'd even to his own mother... He spoke to his own mother in ways that today we would consider to be disrespectful twice. Um, once when he was found at the temple and then the other time at Cana, the wedding at Cana. That's right. I mean, I, I do believe God is love and he does want to comfort us. I believe all that, but mm-hmm. he's not the indulgent grandparent that's going to excuse every little thing we do, make us right. as comfortable as possible. He's the father who's going to mold us and shape us yeah he wants what's best for us but he wants us to appreciate it and to uh in whatever manner we can earn it whatever limited manner we have to you know at least make the effort for it okay we've been going for about an hour do you have any things you'd like to wrap up with point people to your 189 yeah um you can either go to facebook or you can just go to the web 189 for the grammar Nazis out there, there is no and in it. It's just 189. <laughs> the website just has the .com extension. Otherwise, you can go to Facebook and type that in for a search, and it should come up with the group. Uh, I do post articles. I've been doing it weekly for almost three years. Uh, like to continue that, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep quite that pace up. But I still plan to post on a regular basis. I'll probably still be posting weekly for the near future anyway. Love to hear comments either on Facebook or at the bottom of my webpage. There's a link. Send me an email. Tell me what you think. I talk about many different topics, everything from interpreting the Bible to what's it mean to be a Christian, uh, how to address some political social issues, how to address skeptics. And Ray is a warrior for sure. So any of you who have questions, uh, feel I, I, I maybe I'm taking being presumptuous here, but I'm sure Ray would be perfectly willing to help you learn to address questions that atheists and agnostics throw all the time when you're having discussions. Because I've seen him in action; he's quite good, and so I uh, I appreciate all the times you've been in the trenches with me in those battles. You've Thank always you. had my back, and I really appreciated it. Thank you. I love a good fight. <laughs> it is fun. I do enjoy them too, um, but it can get it can actually, get exhausting. And you're actually better at at drawing the line and saying I'm done than I am. I guess I just have a little bit more uh, skeptical about people's goodwill. <laughs> I think uh, 
I've noted there's certain habits that some people do. I mean, there's legitimate people that do have legitimate questions, but many of them are just out to troll and get you upset. And I've learned, I've identified some characteristics. That's actually another paper I'm working on. I think it'll be a real good companion with the one on socialism, actually. And in any case, the two of them are actually are kind of being developed parallel with each other. But yeah, there's a lot of things they do. They love to, they love just to throw a bunch of stuff out there and just lead you off on tangents. And so you're spending all your, you're spending hours answering questions and they just right. spend five minutes and come up with three more questions. They really have no desire to learn. They're just there to wear you out. Yeah. Um, it's it's their of, equivalent of the gish gallop. A lot of uh, gaslighting going on, making it sound like their errors are your fault. Yeah. And there's just so many techniques. I do think it comes back to the whole Hegelian faulty logic that ultimately Hegelism has to fail because it's, there's uh inconsistency within its logic. Yes. And once the logic fails, once logos goes away and people don't believe in your ethos, all you got left is pathos. Yep. All you got left is the emotion. Okay. Well, fantastic, Ray. I appreciate this. This went very well. Perhaps we can do it again sometime in the future. Yeah, Maybe to- next time on like a pointed topic or something, that would be great. But man, this was a fantastic, I think, introduction and, uh, We'll see how this goes as an episode of The Christian Atheist, kind of like the first time I've done it. And um, I think it went very well so far. So I appreciate your coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a, been a pleasure. And I'm uh, very honored that you did. Oh, well, enjoy the rest of your vac- vacation. All right. Thank you. You take care. <laughs> take care, Ray. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason. Respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.